Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, where we are very cold. Uh, Let's see, it's 18 degrees Fahrenheit here today, and that's warmer than it was, and according to the Weather Channel, it feels like it's eight degrees here in Portland, Maine, and um, I'm sorry, but that's too cold. Now, unfortunately, I don't have room to complain. I'm bringing my co-host Susie on here, and if anybody was in a position to complain about weather so far this winter, it's you. But you've all got whacked with a three to six feet of snow or whatever it was. I don't know how cold it is in upstate New York this morning, but it sure is bitter here in Portland, Maine. How are you, though? I'm well, thank you. Um, Well, you know, we're known as the city of good neighbors, and um, we expect to have snow um, around this time of year. And um, actually, we we don't have snow on the ground now. It's just it's a bit cloudy, but we're also a little warmer than you are. We're around thirty degrees today, so. So it, all the Sorry, snow so that cold. was there melted. Yes. What a trip. Well, it's nice and warm here in the offices of Lives in the Balance, and so we consider ourselves fortunate in that way. We have a bunch of email that we could answer today, but as always, callers take priority on this program, so let me, as I often forget to do, give the call-in number. It's 347-994-2981. We do not have anybody standing by at the moment, so let's start, shall we? Yeah, unless, could we just take a couple of minutes to, uh, you could tell us, how your trip went to Austria and how it was received? Um, Collaborative and Proactive Solutions was very well, thank you for asking, was very well received in Austria. There were people there from Switzerland. There were people there from Liechtenstein. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember where other people were from, but um, there were about four or five hundred people in the audience on the Thursday night that I spoke last week, Isn't and about another, it, it was, and they, and, and then uh, a somewhat smaller group um, on Friday who received a full day immersement in the CPS model. But um, it's the first time, uh, to my knowledge, that uh, the CPS model has been presented to an audience in that exact part of the world to a. German-speaking audience, and so uh, it was a talk I very badly wanted to do, and um, everybody received it quite well. And, um, you know, I was reminded by one of the people who brought me over there of the um, song Ebony and Ivory by 
Who was that? Um, Paul McCartney and maybe Stevie Wonder. I can't I remember, right. but yeah, yeah. But the line "People are the same wherever you go" always rings true for me wherever I speak, and it was definitely ringing true uh, on this trip. Um, and it was just a blast. Uh, it was one of uh, I've been done numerous talks where the audience couldn't understand English, but I would say about half of the group needed to have their headphones on for German translations mm -hmm. um, of what I was saying. And um, the translators were absolutely exhausted by the end of the day because, um, number one, I talk, talk fast even though I try not to, and number two, uh, that's a lot of translating of a lot of terminology that isn't always real familiar to people. So it was great. I wish I could say that I saw the Alps because I was right there in the middle of them, but it was very foggy, and so the only time I really saw the Alps is when my airplane took off to come back to the United States, and the Alps were peaking above the clouds once we got above cloud level, so that's all I really saw of the Alps, oh unfortunately. Yeah, well, I'm I'm delighted that it was so so well received. That's just terrific news. It was uh, it was a blast, and there's a good chance that I will be going back to do uh, an advanced training in that neck of the woods. So that's cool. Very. We want as many people to know about CPS as we possibly can. Now, because we were busy talking about my trip to Austria, we now have a caller. Shall we bring our caller from area code 620 on the air? Great. Here we go. Area code 620, you're on the air with uh, me and Susie. How are you today? Doing great. Good morning. How are you all? We are doing well. Good. Welcome back. What's up? What? Thank you. What's up? Well, I've called before my 11-year-old red-headed son, who is quite explosive and um, has been improving over the last couple of years. I have a question for you. Hi, Susie. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question for you, Dr. Green, about one of the um, situations that sets him, that continues to set him off um, in a typically aggressive way. It's one of the only remaining ones now where he just tips over and he can't um, pull himself back. Um, unfortunately, it has to do with when accidents happen. So let me give you an example of the latest one. Um, he was next to me helping me um, unload the vehicle at the end of the school day, and our hatchback and our station wagon wasn't, the hydraulic stopped working, so I was holding it up at a lower level than it usually is. And without noticing how high up that was, the side of his head hit the side mm. of the hatchback pretty hard. And, of course, it hurts. It's smart. It's awful. It hit him right on the side of, like, the temple. And um, when my son gets hurt accidentally like that or his brother gets hurt or really if anybody that is around him gets hurt, he translates pain and sadness immediately into anger. Um, mm -hmm. And instead of just yelling out about his pain, he starts lashing out at me, lashing out at whoever is right around him. Um, and this went on for a good 10, 15 minutes before I could get him to slow down and breathe and um, just accept the ice cube that I wanted to put <laughs> 
by by his his throbbing head and um once he did come down of course he was remorseful and it's almost like he's not even aware of what's happening when when he flips over like that so my question is how do we approach a plan b for accidents how well, do we put I'm a plan think- in place yeah, what I'm thinking about is the wording of the unsolved problem, but I would also um, preface all of this by saying that uh, your son and I have something in common. You know, physical pain um, is very frustrating, sometimes lasts, um, isn't easy to fix, and isn't always easy to handle. So um, it's a tough one. I was um, getting into a car in Austria a few days ago, and um, for whatever reason, probably my own clumsiness, basically smacked the door as I was getting into the car on my ear. Ouch. And it was it was a bear. I mean, no, not, yeah. no blood was drawn, but it doesn't matter. It was, you know, I'm, so I'm sitting there going, what do I feel like doing right now? I feel like screaming right. um, or lashing out. And so, right. you know, of all the ones, you know, sometimes kids lose it over things that are uh, to us so minor and so inconsequential, but to them it's not. Right. Um, but physical pain is not inconsequential. But so number one, it makes sense to me, right? It's a it's a it's one that would make sense to most adults. Physical pain, right? Most of us, you know, if I wasn't if I was in my own car, and it was just me, I promise you, um, their profanities would have been yeah. uttered. Yeah, no question about it. Um, right. And probably some self-deprecating remarks about, you know, how stupid can you be to slam the door on your ear? Right. Um, Luckily, or not luckily, whatever, I was with one of the people who was hosting me, and um, so um, I didn't say a word. And um, there wasn't anybody around to take it out on, so um, I just kept quiet. And lucky for me, I had the wherewithal to pull that off, right? Right. Right. Um, so all of, all of this makes perfect sense. I guess that's point number one. But point number two right. is the wording of the unsolved problem, which might be mm-hmm. difficulty when in physical pain or um, difficulty when he gets hurt. Because that's what the mm-hmm. unsolved problem is. Right. Um, it, it's still a little clumped. And there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to talk with him about that. Um, I think it'd be great to get his concerns on the table. And, um, you know, while we might think that it's pretty predictable what we're likely to hear, um, maybe not. Um, be interesting to hear what he has to say. And it doesn't mean that you can't put your concerns on the table. You have concerns right. about how he handles physical pain and how it affects others, I suppose, Perhaps even if it causes him embarrassment or humiliation, how it affects him. Those are the two ways in which uh, uh, those are the two um, things that adults could be concerned about. And then it wouldn't be tragic to try to come up with a solution that addresses both sets of concerns. Whether he will be able to enact that 
solution when he's in physical pain will probably be the hardest part. Right. Um, but it doesn't feel to me like that is an undoable, unsolved problem. It feels like one that you guys could talk about proactively. Right. Right. And that's, I was, um, I've been a little hesitant to bring it up because it was, it was pretty intense and, and it affected him because he knows how long it went on and how he wasn't able to control himself. So I've, I've put it on the back burner until I could talk to you <laughs> so that I could have the wording right for the unsolved problem. Um, and in my mind, I was wanting when I sit down with him to say something like um, ask him about that incident in particular. Would it be better for me to be more general with what's up when you get hurt? Or do you remember when last week when you hit your head on the side of the station wagon? Hmm. Um, what was up with that? Do I get specific with that event or do I just go general? What What's your take well, on that? The, well, I mean, the best unsolved problems are the ones that are fairly chronic. One-timers are harder to talk about because they've already happened. And so mm. all you can really do is talk about what if it happens again. And right. if it happens again, then the specifics of the old one may not matter quite so much. Plus, I don't know if you want, while I'm always telling people to be specific about the unsolved problem and not to clump, right. I don't know if he's ever going to hit his head on a car again, um, right. but he might get his foot run over by the bicycle, or he may, you know, I don't know what's going to, you know, he might might right. hit his finger with the na- with the hammer, or um, you know, get a paper burn. Mm-hmm. I don't know what physical pain is coming, but I'm not sure that the solution is going to be specific to the manner uh, how the physical pain was inflicted. Okay. And so that's always the big question: is how, what is to be gained? is information to be gained by talking about a specific unsolved problem that is now past? Mm-hmm. Or is he going to be able to tell you what's going on on incidents of physical pain that are more general? And once again, I, I know I'm, I'm always in discouraging people to clump uh, against clumping, but this might be an exception to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, mm-hmm. I think it depends on your judgment call about whether referring to the specific one so um, – soon after it's happened, is likely to get you better information or less mm-hmm. likely to get you better information. That's a judgment call. Okay. Well, and it's uh, actually going the more general might be better since it's it, the separation of the clumping, I think, happens in the fact that he reacts the same way when, say, right. his little brother gets hurt. So that's a different problem. Well, that's in very the, interesting. In way we can wait and and do that yeah he's like hyper empathetic <laughs> so it's um yeah but there's you know the potential like my in my mind's eye i see what if we're in a car accident and something happens like that and on top of having to deal with an accident i have to we have to help diffuse him you know and and things like that so that's where i'm kind of headed down in the future so yeah we have we have some talking to do with this but thank you for your insight that helps you bet. Now, one thing I would say, and, and of course we want Susie to weigh in here too, but one thing I would say is that I would probably split him getting hurt and mm-hmm. others getting hurt. Those I might, yeah. that might have been what you were saying, I might split those into two separate unsolved problems. Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. I think that his concerns related to other people getting hurt, there's good reason to think that those might be different than his concerns about when he gets hurt. Yes. Okay. And the truth is, um, I consider myself relatively skilled in the pain tolerance department. Once again, if I'm in my car alone, um, there's going to be some things said and in a tone of voice and at a volume that is going to be quite different than if I'm around others. What's interesting is if I'm around others and I get physically hurt, I probably go to a relatively primitive yet more adaptive than some of the other possibilities way of expressing that I've been hurt, and it's mostly growling, mm-hmm. which is about as primitive as it gets, but I really don't want to um, have my family members or whoever else that I'm with introduced to my profanity vocabulary, so growling <laughs> might be about the best I can do. Right, right. I, Susie, I any further just, thoughts? Oh, go no. ahead. Uh, no, no, I just wanted to uh, let you know that I also had an 11-year-old red-headed explosive hmm. son um, who had a very low tolerance to pain. Um, and we taught him at a young age that, when something like that happens, when he got hurt and he got very upset, um, to to uh, remove himself and go to a place where he could safely calm himself down. If he was at home, um, he learned to go to his room, and we knew just to leave him alone for those 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. And that was his his safe place. We also um, uh, took measures that if something like that happened at school, that he could um, go to the guidance counselor's office and, um, you know, just uh, stay in her room for for a few minutes until um, he had calmed himself down. Mm-hmm. Good ideas. Thanks. That- that helps for me to go into the invitation step with some suggestions. <laughs> it is, of course, we'll need to hear what his concerns are. Um, and, you know, right. all three of us are probably sitting here thinking his concerns are probably pretty predictable. Um, and so one last reminder, and that is um, how often I am surprised that what I think the kid is going to say in the empathy step is not what the kid ends up saying in the empathy step. So, um, who, who knows what worked for Susie's son may work for yours, but it all depends on what the concerns of both parties turn out to be. Yes, yes. I, it's, when we, by the time that we get to the invitation step, I just like to have multiple options because he's he likes to consider every single angle possible before choosing one. So I've learned that the, the more. <laughs> The more that I have available to him, uh, the better he becomes at making options for himself available. I usually don't have an issue with him uh, being open in the empathy step. Um, it's usually in the solution process that he draws blanks. And so it's helpful to have some extra stuff. So thank you very much to both of you 
Appreciate it. We appreciate you calling. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see what we will see what comes out of this conversation. Keep us posted. Yes, sir. Thanks. Bye, Take Susie. Care. Oh, and by the way, it's um, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney with Ebony and Ivory. Oh, really? Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> I had this nagging feeling that it might be Michael Jackson, but for some reason, I ended up thinking it was Stevie Wonder. But um, mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. And the last thing I just wanted to mention was, um, you know, try not to get discouraged if the first plan B on this unsolved problem doesn't get the job done. You know, you might have to revisit it a couple of times because I thought you said that it had been causing challenging behavior for a while. So, yeah. Usually. Yeah, well, he's pretty cautious because he knows that he doesn't like to get hurt. So he's he's pretty cautious and mm-hmm. is becoming better coordinated. Um, but you know, things happen, and uh, this is the this feels like one of the only remaining uh, territories where, when the switch gets flipped, he really truly doesn't have control. So this feels like definitely that like we've worked on other priorities and have. He's having success more often than not. Um, it's never quite 100%, but he's, it's better and it's fewer and fewer explosions. But this is one arena that we just can't predict. And so um, it's time to put a plan in place. And I'm excited to find out from him and then see what happens. And I'm fully expecting it not to work immediately. <laughs> so Good. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So, um, you know, here on Helping Your Challenging Child, we um, uh, are totally interested in accuracy. So I have now Googled Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> and um, we were right. It was Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Really? Yeah. I'm watching Stevie right now. And Paul. No okay. There you go. So if anybody really wants to revisit that song, and I don't, um, they can Google it, and there's a YouTube version of uh, Paul and Stevie doing their thing. Good? Huh. Great. Um, here we go. Ready for I think we have no other callers right now, so let's let's answer some email. Here's uh-huh. one, and this is a older one, but um, that's okay. It's been sort of sitting there waiting to be answered for a long time, so we're glad we're finally getting to it. Hi, I got an older version of the book, The Explosive Child, from my library. In the original version, you refer to baskets A, B, and C, and most of the compromising was done right before the child had a meltdown. Does the newer version of plan A, B, and C replace that? Can you still offer the compromise in the heat of the moment? Thank you. Well, um, that old version of the book has information in it that is now about 17 years old. And yes, it is true. Originally, I called it basket A, basket B, and basket C. And then because I wanted to be taken seriously, 
and because the baskets started feeling a bit hokey, I changed it to plan A, B, and C, and sometimes I tell this story. The person who gave me the impetus for that, I was already thinking I needed to change it, but there was one of the officers in one of the juvenile detention facilities in the state of Maine that I was working in and still do, and one of them was sitting at a meeting one day and told me he wasn't going to do anything called basket B. And I asked him if he would do something called Plan B, and he said, no problem. And on that day, I decided uh, we can't do the baskets anymore. It's got to be A, B, and C, uh, Plan A, B, and C. But a few things about this email that are very important. Number one, the terminology has changed over the last 17 years. We no longer talk about what... Um, parent and kid or adult and kid are doing in plan B as compromising, even though there may be some compromising um, involved. Because there's another thing I found out. A lot of parents in particular told me, fathers in particular, told me they would never in a million years compromise with their kid. But when I asked them if they would solve a problem with their kid, they said, sure. And so what we talk about these days and have for a very long time as going on in plan B is solving the problem collaboratively rather than compromising. So that's another very big difference. And then extremely important difference is that in the original version of the explosive child, yes, it is true. I did not emphasize that most of the problem-solving should be going on proactively. That is a part of the model that has evolved over the years to the point that now I would say 99.9% of the problem-solving should be done proactively, planned, rather than emergently and reactively and in the heat of the moment, um, Solutions that are arrived at that way tend not to be as durable in the heat of the moment. And once people are already heated up, that's poor timing on trying to solve what is usually a highly predictable unsolved problem. So that's really one of the neat things about the CPS model is that um, little by little over the years, it has been refined and improved and made to be significantly more comprehensible. And um, I think people are finding it easier to use these days. Notice I didn't say easy, but easier, especially once we get them out of the heat of the moment, especially once they become clear that that's possible because the unsolved problems are highly predictable in the first place, especially because there's now an instrument the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to help make all of this predictable, and especially now that they know that what's going on in Plan B is maybe involving some compromising, but is mostly solving the problem collaboratively. So what an interesting email, sort of a blast from the past. Anything to add to that? Um, simply that instead of compromising in plan C you're prioritizing and um i think parents tend to uh like that word a lot better now i can't remember if you um started 
learning about the model back when um, I wasn't being quite so clear about the proactive part. Um, was I in proactive mode um, when you began learning about the model, or had the model already evolved when you first began learning about it? You were in proactive mode. Got it. So that's good because that spared you the um, trying to do things emergently first and then switching over to trying to do things proactively. Can you imagine? Now, you, uh, number one, I was going to ask you if you can imagine trying to solve problems emergently with your explosive child. Um, but my bet is that you ended up trying to solve some things emergently anyways, even though the emphasis was on proactive just because um, just because there were so many unsolved problems in the beginning. What, what, what do you remember about that? Well, I just remembered that um, our son is very quick on his feet, and um, we had so many problems, like you said, in the beginning. And um, many of them would hibernate, and uh, that took a while to to uh, get a handle on and to understand that, you know, if they popped up once, that we needed to be vigilant and understand that it might not happen again for a while, but it definitely was going to rear its head again. Um, And just that it, it was it was hard for me um, because I expected myself to say everything so perfectly. It was it was hard for me to learn how to say how to say it um, in a way that went along with the model and um it was hard to understand the concept that if you were truly doing plan B you didn't know where your imaginary plane was landing um that sort of sense of control uh was difficult in the beginning but if you're really collaborative, it's a complex action, and it requires some self-awareness that, um, you know, to allow people into the conversation in a way that can impact the path that you're going on. You have to be willing to sit there and and um, be open to the fact that maybe what you had in mind is not the way to make it better. You have to be open to the possibility, to that possibility, but also know your concerns. It's not about giving up control, but it's a deliberate way of letting people in that's genuine, but is still very results-focused. Now, one of the things people do say, number one, it's so nice to have you co-hosting the program these days because you truly are the voice of experience. And one of the things you just said really hits home. Um, 
there is a language that goes along with this model that is an acquired art. And it takes a while. And you kind of have to make your way through times when you know you're not saying things exactly as you would like to, but you know it'll come the more practice you get, um, the more videos you watch, um, the more you do it. Slowly but surely, um, the language starts to become much more familiar and people start to become much more fluent in it. Um, and I'm always struck by the fact that families and educators and staff and facilities so frequently say there's a whole language that goes along with this model, a whole way of speaking that is a bit foreign in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like me being in Austria at the end of last week, because I can assure you of this, I don't know German. Not only that, in Austria, they speak a dialect, m- many dialects, and so um uh, you know, if I was on my own in Austria, I would have been in trouble. There, you know, I, we, we tried to lay out my Austrian vocabulary, my German vocabulary, and it's basically about five words, and it's basically increased to about eight. Uh, mm-hmm. Now that I've been there, um, found myself singing the American song Danke Shane the whole time I was there, <laughs> just so that it could, <laughs> which um, dates me, I know, but... Um, who was that, Dana, Dinah Shore or something, whoever it was. But um, what was fascinating to me is I also found myself humming this song Edelweiss from The Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. And then one of my hosts, and I, maybe if I'd have thought about this a little bit more, I would have realized it, but maybe not. It turns out Edelweiss, one of my favorite songs from my favorite movie, The Sound of Music. In Austria, they've never heard of it. It really? is not... Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. It is not an Austrian folk song. It was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein just for the sound of music. So she had me sing it to her, one of my hosts, Uh and she said, I've never heard of this song. Oh, my God. Who knew? Can you imagine? No. And so um, I guess Rodgers and Hammerstein pulled one over on us because um, then I looked it up. And right there, it says Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote it for The Sound of Music, which Mm -hmm. explains why nobody in Austria has ever heard of the song. It's not an Austrian song. It's an American song. Can you imagine? Um, I've got a big smile on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but just going back to uh, CPS, it's a... It's a skill-building process for you and your child, and there is a specific language involved. There is. We do not have another caller. Shall I um, read another email? Sure. Here's a quick one, and I've got three standing by that are longer, but here's a quick one. Hi, Dr. Green. I was told my daughter, who's 18 years old, has slow processing speed. She is a smart kid but has a hard time with recall and rapid naming. She has a vivid imagination but cannot reproduce those thoughts on paper. It's frustrating for her. How do I help her? It doesn't seem clear. I was told have her read a lot. Is it that simple? No. But here's my question. Um, my, my instinct is to refer, uh, uh, number one, my question is, 
how do you know that she has slow processing speed? How did you get that information? How do we know that she has a hard time with recall and rapid naming? And that's not me being accusatory. That's me saying, has she been tested by somebody who came to those conclusions? Uh, Either way, um, if she hasn't been tested, I would probably recommend that this mom, and I don't know where this mom lives, find a good neuropsychologist and get some testing done if there are some significant issues here and that seem to resonate with her about difficulties her daughter has and has been having all along. If testing hasn't been done, let's get some testing done. Secondly, um, if testing has been done, I would probably go back to the evaluator and ask for the name of a good speech and language therapist, unless that's the person who gave this information, and ask about intervention. Um, Because this sounds like something that would likely be right up the alley of a good speech and language therapist. And that's probably what I would do. If she hasn't been tested yet, I'd probably do that, because I'm not exactly clear where that information is coming from. If she, whether she's been tested or not, I suspect that the person who's going to help out most with this and provide the most information about it uh, is a speech, speech and language therapist. And um, I'm not real sure about that advice to simply have her read a lot. I don't think that's actually going to do it, but I don't think it's going to be that simple. And there's that email. Anything to add to that? Not really. Um, No, not really. All right. So here's an interesting email, but it's long. Dear Dr. Green, my son has lagging skills as a result of multiple developmental delays. His father and I have placed him in different schools over the past five years. He is eight years old. All of these schools, and we've tried both private, special ed, and public with a robust IEP, use the ABA approach in one form or another. ABA, of course, standing for Applied Behavior Analysis. My son consistently ends up eloping, being put in therapeutic holds. I I have to pause there for just one moment because I think therapeutic and hold are two words that I probably wouldn't put together in the same way. And I made a big deal out of this when I was speaking in Austria. One of the um, terms that I do now know, because I did a uh, newspaper interview just before the talk I did last Thursday evening, and the newspaper reporter acquainted me with a expression in that part of Austria called, and I'm going to butcher this, of course, um, Zunderwachen. Um, And they tried to get me to say it well, and I didn't by the time I left, but at least I remembered it. Um, And that means a healthy smack, usually on the face. And the point that I made um, to the group in Austria on Thursday night is that I don't think healthy and smack go together, nor do I think therapeutic and hold go together, but now let me go back to the email. And in seclusion rooms, 
currently has a one-on-one aide. The school and his team are great folks. We have a great psychiatrist and have tried a number of meds and continue to do so. Ultimately, though, the ABA methods are the methods they use despite our efforts to promote the use of CPS. And despite all our best efforts, the meltdowns and the consequences of restraint and seclusion still occur. We have homeschooled him for a semester twice. This is hard for us and not our preferred choice. We used co-ops, tutors, and classes online, as well as swimming and taekwondo. My question is simple. What would you do if one of your children were developmentally delayed and in this position? Given that any educational evolution doesn't seem to be imminent, would you continue to try to work with schools even if your child were being put in these situations? Or would you homeschool your child until you felt that they were better able to cope with this system? We are, of course, afraid that these interventions are harmful to him and worry a great deal that we are putting him in harm's way. What a uh, poignant email. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yes. So um, it's always interesting because sometimes some of the families I work with ask me what would I do if it was my kid. But the reality is um, that's my reference point anyways. Um, he's eight years old. I do think restraining and secluding kids does cause harm. So I wouldn't want my child or your child to be in a setting where restraint and seclusion are being administered to my child with great regularity or even ever. Because if a kid is still being restrained and secluded, it's usually an indicator that there are unsolved problems still looming. And one thing I can guarantee, those unsolved problems aren't going to get solved through use of restraint and seclusion. The good news is, and this is perhaps the key line, this mom has a robust IEP, which means that she um, may, and it depends on where she lives, and it depends on what's available in her area, and that's always a huge question. And I know parents who, by the way, have moved to access a facility that um, didn't use restraint and seclusion, and did use uh, models, not necessarily CPS, but models that were non-punitive and non-adversarial and skill-building and relationship-enhancing. But the fact that there's a robust IEP might tell us that this mom could potentially have her pick of facilities and could potentially design a home-based program that was exactly what her son needed, perfectly tailored to her son. In other words, I would want to use special education law, and it might already be working for her, to make sure that her son gets what he needs and to take a pick of facilities. And, of course, there's much we don't know from her email. She may have done all of this already. Not sure. But if it was my kid... I would try to make sure that my kid ended up in a situation in which he was well understood, in which the interventions that I thought were going to work best for my son were being applied, and in which there was at at the very most a minimal chance of my child being restrained or secluded. 
Susie, you've got about 60 seconds to weigh in before we're done for today. Just as you said, a uh, very powerful email. Um, let's see. Uh, the the thing about the model about collaborative and proactive solutions is even though it's a very difficult time, it always offers hope. So um, try to hang in there and be your child's advocate. And um, schools can get quite creative when they want to. So um, don't give up and be the squeaky wheel. I love that guidance. And on that note, we're going to call it a day here on Parenting Your Challenging Child. Susie, thanks as always. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. We'll be back next week. Okay.